Hey there, conductors. If you've ever felt that you're not quite sure what to do next when you're studying a score, maybe you don't even know where to start with a difficult piece. Maybe you study one piece too much and then you realize at the first rehearsal that you don't know another one well enough. Or maybe you're a new conductor and you don't know what score study is. I'm excited to share that I'm finally publishing and sharing my score study checklist. I've been refining this for 12 years now, and I'm so excited to share it. It is going to walk you through my structure, my process to make sure that I learn every score that I need to learn well enough and so that nothing falls through the cracks. So it covers everything that you need to know. There's a link in the show notes. Go ahead and click it, sign up, and you'll get that score study checklist sent right to your email. You'll also get access to an eight-minute video of me explaining what each section is and how I use it to organize all the music that I need to learn. It's only eight minutes, so it's not going to take you a whole hour to learn how to study better, how to put up a process for your score study and how to make sure that nothing is falling through the cracks. So again, click the link in the show notes, and I hope to see you soon. Now, please enjoy this episode of Podium Time. Welcome to Podium Time, the podcast for conductors and students. Well, it's basically kind of an orchestrated TED Talk is the best way that I can kind of explain it. You know, three of the most prominent scientists in the world coming to kind of talk about their individual disciplines as the orchestra accompanies a very scripted presentation. You know, Austin has this vision where he's like, it's kind of an oratorio, actually, but nobody sings. You know, it's not a cantata. It's not an opera. It's not a symphony. It's its its own thing, right? And who knows what the future is. If this goes really well, maybe the next thing we do... Welcome to Podium Time. I am Jeremy, and I'm here with Luke and our special guest, Tony Pierce. And Tony is the chief artistic officer... That's what he said. That's what they call him. That's what he said. He's the chief artistic officer of the Colorado Symphony. Um, Thank you, Tony, for being here today. Sure. It's a pleasure. So we were hoping to start, if you would describe to us and our listeners um, what you do as chief artistic officer. Most of us are conductors, and um, we know about programming and that stuff, but you have a much larger season, I think. When we went over the season, we had 52 or 53 separate concerts. so, so what, what kind of work goes into that, and, and what is your job? Well, I mean, the easiest way to sum it up is to say that I work with our musicians and conductors to plan all the concerts. You know, I do spend a good bit of time working with, you know, the artist manager world, you know, the Opus 3s and the IMGs, um, and really tactically implementing our labor agreement, really. You know, we have a labor agreement that defines our relationship with the musicians from a business standpoint. And I, you know, implement that in planning the weeks, you know, at the Colorado symphony, our contract is a 43 week contract. Um, And I get to allocate those weeks in different ways. You know, I can allocate a certain number of weeks to the summer. I can allocate a certain number of weeks to what we call the winter season. And that's really where most of um, you know, what people would traditionally associate as a symphony season happens. You know, it happens during that winter season. Um, so 
you know, I have a committee that I work with, a committee of nine musicians who are called the Artistic Committee at the symphony. They're actually trustees of the organization also. And, you know, I kind of, um, the planning process is done with them in a transparent way. You know, I have to build budgets. I have to make sure I understand how much money we're spending. I have to understand what the revenue projections are associated with concerts because I have real goals to meet that I've got to be, um, you know, mindful of as I plan things. Yep. So I, you know, I work with them in, in planning everything that we do, you know, I put all the programs and the repertoire in front of them. We have thorough discussions about them, you know, everything from, have we, you know, is this the right violinist for us to engage for the, you know, um, Brooke Violin Concerto or what kind of conductors do we need for a certain program? Are we doing enough Baroque repertoire? Should we be doing any Baroque repertoire? You know, is there too much Beethoven on a season? All that, I work with them very closely in planning everything. So in a nutshell, that's what I do. You know, I work with the musicians to plan all the concerts, but then I also have to implement it with, you know, the venue. I have to implement it with the production team. I have to implement it with the artist managers. And, you know, you have to, just because the artistic committee says they want to play something doesn't mean that a conductor has it on his plate either. You know, I mean, it's a real dialogue with a lot of people, and I'm just kind of the guy in the middle of it. And I've got a lot of help. You know, I have a good team that supports me and, you know, that helps to make all the trains run on time and everything happen properly. You know, my staff is, you know, I've got a full-time personnel manager. I have a full-time production manager who's really a, a stage manager. You know, I have a full-time artistic administrator who's, you know, kind of my right-hand man that really helps to implement contracts and make sure all the details are tied down. You know, I've got a we have two people working in the library all the time who help us make sure we have the right addition for, you know, um, you know, if, if Hans Groff is coming to conduct a Beethoven symphony, you need to make sure you have the right charts. You know, he may have a different addition than everybody else. Actually, he, he, act, so, you know, Hans is coming to do our Beethoven six next year. He actually came into town this summer to go up to work in Aspen and he brought his Beethoven six charts to us and we met him at the airport to pick up the chart. You know, I mean, it's all those details that we've got to manage. And, you know, we work with the venues, you know, I work with the city to make sure we get dates on the Red Rocks calendar in the summer. I work with, you know, the city is kind of our landlord, the agent, the city agency of arts and venues manages the entire performing arts complex. So I spend a lot of time working with them. Um, you know, we, we spend time making sure the ushers are up to speed on things. We make sure the ushers understand what the photo policy is at concerts. You know, we make sure we, um, I mean, all aspects of operating the orchestra kind of fall under my team's, you know, sphere of influence, I guess. Mm -hmm. Could you describe how you work with the artistic committee and the committee of musicians? Well, th so that's dictated by the musicians' bylaws. They actually... Um, get nominated and then there's a vote basically, you know, and they each serve a certain term and, you know, certain people rotate out each year and new people come on. There is a chairman. They always elect a chairman each year who, you know, I work closely with and we schedule recurring meetings. You know, we meet probably, you know, it, seasonally it, it varies, you know, at the time of year when we're really planning a season, we meet probably every other week to review the status of things. So, you know, there's nine musicians on that committee, 
and they kind of represent all families of the orchestra. You know, there's several brass players. There's a bunch of string players. Right now, John Kinsey, one of you know our principal percussionist, is on that committee. Um, so it's you know it's a representative committee of the whole orchestra. So all the families of instruments are kind of represented. But you know it's it's real service. Like it's a big time commitment for them. You know it it um, you know they're they're committed to the stage like all their peers. But then they also have to go to all these meetings with me. So it you know I enjoy it. It's fun. I mean you know we're sitting around talking about what we're planning. But it you know it it um, it is a big time commitment for the players to be on the artistic committee. But it's an important one. You know that's how they. It's one of the ways we ensure the musicians have buy-in to everything we're playing. You know, um, you know, we go, you know, we we review everything in 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 um, extreme detail, I guess. Is a, I mean, we have, um, you know, the way we kind of plan that. You know, most of the guest conductors that we see are on the classic series. You know, what what is traditionally referred to as a masterwork series. And, you know, that's 16 concerts, and we dedicate 16 weeks to those. And, you know, we make sure those weeks are equitably spaced out throughout the year. You know, you don't want to have all your subscription concerts right on top of each other. Because, you know, you want to space out the patron's experience, really. So we kind of start out by mapping out the weeks, right? That's the first step, is I kind of have a giant calendar on my wall that is all 12 months of the year. And I map out which weeks are going to be those classical weeks. You know, we know they're not really going to be during December because we've got all kinds of holiday programming. We know, we know they're not really going to be around Halloween because we have holiday programming. I also know when the musicians have contractual dark weeks for vacation time. And then I fit in those weeks. Like, that's the priority for us is the traditional classical programming. So we start with that. Everything else kind of fills in around it, like all the pops programming, all the family programming. All that works around the Masterwork series. You know, the Masterwork series is kind of the sacred cow, right? So then the next step is to identify which of those weeks are going to be Brett's. Because, you know, Brett doesn't do every one of them. You know, next year, Brett is conducting 10 of the 16 classical Masterworks. And we want to make sure the musicians work with Brett is kind of equitably spaced out throughout the year also. You know, we always prioritize that the music director opens and closes the season, and then we try to make sure that he doesn't go a long period without being in front of the ensemble. So once we've mapped out those 10 weeks, it's time to start to think about, okay, what guest conductors do we want to see? You know, um, we have recurring relationships with several people, like a Peter Ungen-type conductor who's just worked with us on a recurring basis for years and years. You know, we know there's, because, you know, you can put conductors into different categories, right? You know, you have up-and-comers, you've got, you know, elder statesmen, and you've got um, kind of, you know, established people with a certain profile. Like, if we are doing a real Baroque week, you probably want somebody who's specialized in that type of repertoire. And, you know, I've got to talk to their managers to even make sure that these guys are available for the weeks. Um and, you know, we also prioritize to have some diversity on the podium. You know, we're making sure we see some female conductors. You know, that, that's, you know, it's important. So the, all those considerations kind of go into staffing the podium. So staffing the podium is kind of the first step for those 16 weeks. And then, you know, we think, okay, you've got to open with a big blockbuster. You've got to close with a big blockbuster. You kind of need, um, 
to make sure, you know, we have a very thorough performance history. This is a giant Excel spreadsheet that basically has every time we've played everything, right? Because you want to make sure you're not playing the same thing every every other year. You know, you want to make sure you're kind of cycling through repertoire properly. You want to make sure you don't accidentally plan a year of all Italian composers. You want to make sure, you know, if, you know, we make sure we, you know, we also look at big anniversary dates. You know, we're doing the Britain War Requiem next year, and it kind of corresponds with the armistice of the of World War One. You know, so you know a lot of orchestras are doing the War Requiem next year. You know, you also know, you know, we know 2020 is Beethoven's, um, you know, 250th birthday year. Am I right? So, you know, we know we're going to do a lot of Beethoven then. So do we want to do so much this year or do we want to save it? You know, we make sure we have a strategy. Really. You know, Brett and I have had a lot of conversations about what is our Beethoven strategy. Because, you know, you, you've got to do it. It is kind of the bread and butter of our repertoire, right? And it's also one that really resonates at the box office. Like the sales history is another thing we really consider. You know, as much as I love Sibelius, I can't program it all the time because our patron base is just doesn't have the biggest appetite for it. You know, we did sneak in Sibelius 5 next year. And, you know, when we got to 5, because the last one we played was 2, then we did 1, so it's time to kind of, you know, then I've got to talk to the guest conductor, which is Hamie Martin, and see what his thoughts are about, is he even interested in doing Sibelius? And, you know, and, and you also have to really, you know, you spend a lot of time penciling in the soloist. You know, you don't want to accidentally have five violin soloists in a row, and you also don't want to only have a year with piano soloists. And, you know, another big, you know, another big variable for us is we have a remarkable chorus. And, you know, our, we have a volunteer chorus, and, you know, Dwayne Wolf is our chorus master. He's also the chorus master in Chicago. I have to kind of equi equitably space out what the chorus does. You know, like they can't do Brahms Requiem one week and then all of a sudden turn around and do Mahler two because they got to have time to prepare. You know, they, they, you know, it takes them more time to prepare than it does the orchestra. So I've got to kind of equitably space out when the chorus appears. And I already know, um, you know, they're going to do all kinds of things during the holiday period, right? You know, they're going to do the Messiah. They're going to do our traditional Christmas programs. You know, next year we have this classical Christmas program, which is more of a, you know, a sacred take on a holiday program, if you will. I've got to kind of equitably space out their workload. Because the thing about a chorus in today's orchestras is suddenly you have to have a chorus to do a Harry Potter movie, you know? And you've got to that. You know, the chorus is its own machine, right? Like they have their own, you know, we have a chorus manager. We have an assistant chorus director. And Dwayne is definitely the guy in charge. And you've got to make sure that, you know, one, I've got to make sure when we schedule the chorus, Dwayne's not committed with the chorus in Chicago because I need him here. So, you know, those are just some of the variables that go into mapping out the season. You know, if you're talking about getting your hands on somebody like a Yo-Yo Ma, You've got to schedule that when you can get your hands on Yo-Yo Ma. You know, you can't just call up Opus 3 and say, I need Yo-Yo on this day and, and, and have him show up, right? You know, and so there's certain, and we do program concerts that are real specials. Um, you know, and that's when like an Exot Perlman shows up and when, when a Renee Fleming shows up. You know, you've got to 
operate way out in advance to get those scheduled because you know they already you know if Renee's going to the Met she'll she may be there for like a three month period you know and they already know that probably two years from now and so you've got to really that means I just talk to a lot of artist managers to understand what their artists are up to you know um, and then we also have a lot of conversations like Brett's like, I want to do a Mozart piano concerto. Let's pick out somebody who's going to be great for that. Like, you know, certain players who are going to play a big rock Rachmaninoff concerto, you don't necessarily want to come and play your Mozart concerto, you know? So those are just some of the variables. And, you know, Brett also has certain artists that he wants to see, you know, so I've got to prioritize to target them to Brett's weeks because remember he's only doing 10 of the 16 so I've got to make sure that he gets the artist he wants to work to at that time um, so you know we, we make sure we have you know we take a step back and look at how we've you know it's a it's a dialogue and it's a process that takes months and months you know and it's kind of like an outline some well I somebody told me this once you know, a symphony season has certain things that you know are going to happen. Like, I know that we're going to have 16 classical weeks. It's kind of like an episode of The Simpsons in a way. You know, you know I also know we're going to have a certain number of traditional pops concerts. I also know we're going to do a certain number of film projects. And it's this kind of equation that is the same every year in a way, but you have to innovate within that, right? And, you know, so... We map it all out and, you know, we target what the repertoire is. And then you go through the whole budget process where I've got to get the instrumentation from the library. You know, you've got to figure out how many extra players are you having to hire. You know, it's all about a big budget exercise. And you do have to negotiate fees with all these artists. You know, you have to negotiate a fee with the conductor. You have to negotiate a fee for the soloist. And it all has to, you know, there has to be a balance. You know, we're... A, a nonprofit arts institution that cannot operate at a deficit. You know, we, we, we just, nobody has the capital to do that in the arts world. So we have to be very responsible in all the commitments that we make. You know, sometimes after we've planned the masterwork season, we have to go through and say, well, you know, we can't afford the instrumentation for the ride of spring. We're going to have to do something else. But, you know, like with the war requiem, it's one that we, prioritized to do so we had to kind of balance around the war requiem's financial commitment if you will right you know um because you know our the orchestra's 80 players you know it's triple wins it's five um you know we have five horns so we do have a full-time assistant in the horn section we've got three trumpets three bones tuba timpani plus three in the percussion section and, um, you know, we have a harp and 50 string players. You know, we have a certain string count, right? Um, and anytime you, ex so, so those are the salaried musicians. It's 80 salaried players. Whenever the instrumentation requires something that's outside of that, like, you know, if, if you need a saxophone for the John Adams City Noir, you've got to pay for the saxophone. Like you don't already have him in your standing army, right? And that, so you've got about, you know, you have to budget for that. Um, you know, we did a big Wagner ring without words last year, and it required a certain string divisi to really pull it off. You know, we had to budget to augment the strings to fulfill the divisi. Um, 
you've got to, you know, you've got to get quotes from all the publishers about how much the li you know, what your library is expensive. You know, you know, that's not insignificant, you know? Um, oh yeah. Well, the movies are, yeah, they're expensive projects and you know, with the movies, then you have to budget to rent all the screens and projectors, you know, sometimes you have, sometimes you have to rent a click track. Sometimes you don't have to rent a click track. Um, and one thing that's a challenge for us because, you know, better concert halls in the round in order to maximize the number of sellable seats, we actually have to rent three separate screens and projectors, which is very expensive. And it also kills some seats. You know, the sellable capacity of our hall goes from about 2,500 to 1,900 when we do a film. And, you know, the films are expensive. Um, you know, when you do Pops concerts, a lot of that music's not going to be in the public domain. So, you know, you're dealing with the publishers to rent the music. Um, a lot of times, you know, we've kind of worked to build a reputation for the Colorado Symphony as a place where we collaborate with non-symphonic musicians a good bit. And, you know, you've got to commission charts for them. Like, you know, we're doing a gig next year with Lettuce, which is this, you know, funk fusion band from Berkeley. Um, or, or, you know, they all kind of form the band at Berkeley. Suddenly they're, you know, they've been at this for a long time, but they don't have orchestra charts. So we've got to commission those. So, you know, that's a big variable. I mean, writing, getting charts written is a very expensive proposition, right? And you can spend as much or as little money as you want on it, honestly. Um, so, you know, the budget process is one that kind of has to happen in conjunction with the planning. You know, we could dream big and have a season with, you know, a Mahler cycle in it. But, you know, we would never be able to afford it. Right? And it would, it would just be irresponsible for us. Um, so... You know, those are some of the variables. You know, we know certain artists have a track record in this market. Like, you know, somebody like Olga Kern is a, you know, a great pianist. And she's been here probably 10 times over the last 15 years. And we've kind of built some celebrity for her in this market, if you will. So, you know, I can kind of take her to the bank at the box office. You know, whereas if I hired somebody like, well, you know, a pianist who, you know, there, you know, there are a million world-class pianists out there, right? And, and we probably hire five or six over the course of a year. Um, you know, you want to give some up-and-comers a chance. You want to have some big names. You know, you kind of have to balance all that out when you're planning the season. You know, you can't have Pinkus Zuckerman show up every week to play the violin concerto because, you know, it's just not financially feasible. But it is great to have him every couple of years show up, right? So, you know, we try to balance it all. Um, you know, Brett has real artistic priorities. You know, Brett is really trying to help our audience kind of um, move along with us as an institution. You know, we're trying to challenge them at times, but also give them a lot of the popular party pieces that they trust. And we try to you know, we sometimes try to balance those considerations within a program. I'm sure Brett talked about that when he talked about his Dvorak 9 program. Mm -hmm. You know, we're doing, um, you know, the Schwantner New New Morning for the World. And also, you know, that that's something that's not programmed all that often. No, our, our traditional subscribers don't know who Joseph Schwantner is. I mean, they just they don't have that CD, right? But they're going to, you know, it's an amazing work. And they're going to have an amazing experience. They're probably coming to hear Dvorak 9, and they're going to be pleasantly surprised with the Schwantner. You know, that's 
kind of the goal. So, you know, Brett has real priorities and, and, you know, a mission, if you will, to help our audience kind of move along and go on a journey with him as we explore the repertoire. You know, that's the beautiful part about it as an orchestra can, you know, we can play anything really. It's just a matter of, um, you know, we don't want to play concerts that nobody wants to hear. You know, that's, that's never going to be a goal, right? So, yeah, those are some of the variables that we try to juggle. And about, I mean, you know, this is a lot of, this is a lot of stuff to organize. How far out does that process start? Um, well, you know, so if you come to my office and you should swing by and see me one day, I'll show you. I mean, I have, you know, the, my, my walls are just covered with calendars. You know, I have, you know, through 2020, every month is on the wall right now. Um, actually, well, I mean, because, you know, we, we've, we know when the 100th anniversary of the Colorado Symphony is. Like, this is just an example. You know, one idea is during our 100th anniversary year, we want to have everyone conduct who is still alive who's been a music director. So that means you got to get Marin Alsop here. That means you got to get Andrew Wooden here. That means you got to get Jeffrey Kahane here. And, you know, in order to get your hand, you know, Marin is in um, unparalleled demand, right? You know, you can't just decide when Marin's going to show up. You know, she she is arguably the most significant female conductor in the world, right? So it's tough. To, you know, you've got to, we've got to plan that out. And, you know, we're talking about 2022 for that kind of thing, right? So you've got to start penciling in some of the big milestone projects way in advance. Um, and, you know, because it, especially if you're going to commission something, right? Like, you know, we've commissioned a harp concerto from Michael Doherty. Oh, cool. And, you know, we commissioned, yeah, it's probably two years ago that we commissioned the thing and it's not going to happen until 2020. So, you know, because he's got to have time to write it, you know, he's a busy guy. He's got a lot going on. So you've got to really kind of pursue that kind of project even further in advance. You know, the violinists of the world don't won't, don't want to hear me say this, but you can always find somebody to show up and play the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto next week if you need to. You know, I mean, you can. There's probably 10 violinists in New York right now who are qualified and will jump on a plane tomorrow. Because that's, you know, that is something that we deal with. You know, people get sick, you know, especially on the vocal side of things. Like, you know, if you've got a, like a Verity Requiem coming up and you can have that vocal cast put together two years in advance, a week before, if somebody's sick, you're going to get a phone call and they're going to tell you that they're not showing up and you've got to suddenly find a soprano, you know. Um, and you've got to have the right voice to sing the soprano role in the Verity Requiem. So you've got to find the right person. And, you know, I'm lucky that the arts management world is there to help us. You know, I can send five emails and have availability from, uh, you know, you know, there's certain artist managers in New York who only have vocal, you know, they, they specialize within some of these big firms, you know, and IMG, there's a lady named Romana Jaroff, who is kind of the um, vocal roster go-to person for me. I just call Romana and tell her what's happening. And she suddenly can figure out what every, you know, she probably has 20 sopranos, honestly. And she can tell me who's available, who has it in their repertoire and who can get on a plane and show up and do it. So, you know, we've got to be nimble at times, obviously, because, um, you know, sometimes somebody misses a flight and they don't make it here. You know, somebody's visa gets messed up and they can't get into the country or, you know, and all that, all those kind of things happen. 
you know, we've been dealing with that with some of our young conductors right now, right? You know, Chris Dragon is still in Australia. His visa has been approved, but, you know, he's not going to he's not going to make it into town until September 3rd. And his first concert is that first week, you know? So, and you know, the, our, you know, the current political climate in this country hasn't made it any easier for people to get visas. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of variables, but it's fun. You know, I mean, we, we have fun. I mean, you know, to work for an orchestra all the time is a pleasure and a joy, right? I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky to get to do what I do. You know, few people get to have my job, you know. So it's 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 fun. We have a good time. It's not always easy and you know, at times it's stressful. I mean, but it it's a good it's a good gig. Yeah. Now, when you're contacting a soloist, are you bringing a piece to them that you like them to play or are you contacting them and see what they what they have going or what they would like to bring to that program. Yeah, it happens both ways because, you know, some people will only carry a certain number of pieces each season. And the same thing happens with conductors. Some conductors will tell you, if you want me to show up next year, you've got to pick one of these five symphonies. Because I'm because they the guy and, and I actually kind of like to hear that because you know that they have you know, he or she has really committed to bringing something to tape to the table with those five works. You know, the guy's not going to show up and just wave his arms and get everybody through, you know, um, a, a Strauss tone poem. He's really spent the time to make sure he has something to say with it. And soloists, like certain soloists, you know, Brett has an idea for a beautiful program that is the Berg Violin Concerto with Mahler 4. And everybody doesn't carry the Berg Violin Concerto, right? So you kind of, yeah, you almost have to shop. You almost have to shop for the violinist in that case, right? You almost have to, you know, I would, what I would do is I would probably call my people at some of the artist management firms and say, who's playing Berg? And, you know, we also use the internet as a tool. I mean, you can just Google it and see who's it around, right? Uh, but, you know, like Augustine Hadelick's coming next year to play Barber. That's just one of the works he was carrying. You know, he... You know, they can't keep everything under their fingers all the time. He's played the bear. I saw him do it a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. He's done it. He's just not hearing it next year. Uh, I'm gonna, I am gonna. plan on talking to him about it while he's in town, though. You know, I mean, um, so it happens both ways. You know, certain, certain pianists are always playing rock two and three, right? You know, and that's just all they do. And then there's, um, coming up, there is the, there's the, the Mason Bates cello concerto in this coming season, right? And the the soloist is is who it was written for, right? Yeah, Joshua Roman. Yep. Um, you know that's well, I I I I guess I can tell you this. You know that's a recording project for us, so we're going to record. You know we're trying to make a CD. Of, oh, okay. Yeah, we're trying to make a CD of Mason's music. Okay, cool. And the cello concerto has not been recorded, and Brett and um. Mason are buddies, you know, it's just a good fit for everybody involved. And Josh wants to do it, obviously. Um, so, you know, the question there is, well, okay, if you're going to do it, you can't make a CD out of just the cello concerto. So what else in Mason's music can we capture? And you can't do it all on the same program. So we've already got some things penciled in in 1920 to hopefully capture some of Mason's works that would complete the CD. So it's a couple of, you know, it's a, 
process that takes a couple of years, really. And then that has its own price tag that comes with it. Well, producing the CD, yeah, you know, gotta have, you know, in the the plan, the current plan is to do this as a live recording, right? So, you know, you basically record each concert, and then that night or the next day, you know, Mason and Brett and Josh will sit down and listen to the performances and talk about what we didn't get. And at the, you know, it's, so then hopefully, you know, maybe you can give the orchestra notes before the Saturday concert after the Friday show and the same thing on Sunday. But then on Sunday, we have a patch session schedule, you know, which is a chance to go through and I guess get things that we didn't capture during the live takes, right? So it that becomes a, a whole separate, you know, it, it makes that week very non-routine, right? You know, and there's microphones all over the place, you know. You got to have engineers around making sure everything's working properly. I mean, it, it's it's a big process. It's a fun one. You know, it's fun. And it is fun to sit in the booth and kind of listen to everything after it's been performed and follow along in the score and trying to figure out what was not balanced properly. Who, you know, is there a horn clam there? You know, I mean, you, you know, you got to go through and figure it all out. It's It's tedious, but it's fun. I'm not so worried about it. I mean, I mean, we'll definitely tell the audiences, you know, because you want, you know, we'll have extra cough drops and all that sort of thing because you know, all those things, everything that happens in the hall will come through the mic. I mean, you would be surprised how often you hear a cell phone on a recording. You can tell everybody 10 times to turn off their cell phones and somebody will still not do it. But that's the world we live in, right? In, in an instance like that, do, does the audience is the audience aware that it's a recording going on at that moment? Yeah, that, my gut is Brett will tell them from the stage before each performance. Um, you know, I don't, and maybe we'll also include it in advance communications to the patrons. You know, because we, you know, we do email everybody before each concert with just you know if there's a if parking's going to be a problem, we try to tell them in advance so they get there early. If you know. We try to have them be as prepared as they can for the experience. So we'll disclose it somehow, for, certainly. My, my gut is Brett will tell them from the stage before each performance that we're trying to make it. Yeah. Some of the patrons may not like it, but they'll, they'll sure hear it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why they wouldn't. You know, they're, they're part of it, really, right? I mean, you know, they get to be, they get to be a part of it in a way. I, I like the live recording process more than the studio process because it, you know, sometimes it's not as, you know, it's just not as organic when you're yeah, yeah, yeah. behind closed doors trying to record in a session situation. Um, one other thing you mentioned earlier, and um, this this may be a uh, this may be a selfish question, um, but not completely. Um, I was hoping you you're, you mentioned the the list of the conductors that you guys call back. I was just curious for 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 the sake of the list, um, but then also for maybe a, a couple people that we should contact to get on the podcast. Um, who are those conductors that that you call back regularly? You mentioned um, Peter. I can't remember his last name. Unjin. Unjin. Yeah. Yeah. P Peter's a guy that we you know Peter was the principal guest conductor years ago, and he's just you know, part of the family in a way, because he's been here so often. Um, you know, Andrew Lydon comes back. You know, Andrew was the music director, right? Um, you know, Hans is here for the probably the third time in the 
eight or nine years I've been here, right? I mean, it, it, it's, you know, and certain soloists come back on a recurring basis. Um, I, you know, we don't have, you know, Marin, we, we, you know, we enjoy seeing Marin. You know, Marin was a music director here for a long time. Um, you know, there's not like a formal list. It's just, you know, we know who some of the people are who are part of the family, and it's always good to see them. You know, and if somebody comes, you know, if a, if a conductor comes here and has a great rapport with the orchestra, we want to get them back. You know, you want to capitalize on that. And if somebody comes here and doesn't have a great rapport with the orchestra, we don't want to have them back. You know, I mean, you know, that, that's just how the business works. I mean, it's nothing, it's never anything personal. You know, everybody's a gorgeous artist. They may just not be the best fit for us right now. And, you know, we're always trying to see new people who we haven't seen also. You know, it does kind of feed the soul of the orchestra to have a new perspective brought to the table. You know, like Haney Martin, who's not been here. You know, Haney, you know, Haney is a guy who has a growing reputation in this world as a, as a great conductor. You know, he, um, he's now the music director of the LA Chamber Orchestra. You know, he had, um, you know, he, he just has a great reputation and we want to work with him. So, you know, we've been, it's, t it's taken several years to get a week that works for us both. But, you know, I think it's, you know, all signs point to yes, it'll be a great week for the orchestra, right? Um, you know, Kevin John Edusay is a guy who was here a couple of seasons ago and and everybody just had a great week so we're bringing him back you know it, it was just a mm -hmm. and we want to see him do something different you know i can't remember exactly what he conducted last time but you know this time he's doing a big you know i think he's doing schubert nine or you know it it's just a very different repertoire than what he did the last time he was here you know, we're just trying to get to know these guys as artists and you know hopefully have a relationship that continues for years and years you know because Brett can't conduct everything, so we have to make sure we have, um, you know, we're pursuing relationships with people, whether they ever become formalized or not, you know? I mean, you know, it's just kind of how the business needs to go, you know? And sometimes we have to trust the artist managers, because, you know, I can't go around and see everybody conduct. I'd love to spend all my time traveling, going to concerts, but I don't get to, you know? So... You know, I talk to my peers at other orchestras, you know, I'm like, hey, how did he do? You know, because sometimes a guy will have a big career in Europe and won't have necessarily been to the States. And somebody will will give him a chance, you know, for, for whatever reason. And then everybody, you know, calls the equivalent of me at that orchestra and asks how it went, right? And, you know, the artistic committee can do that kind of due diligence also. You know, my players can... You know, they have buddies in all these orchestras. I mean, they they all talk, you know. Um, so that, that's another effective way for us to do research. And, you know, a lot of our players go and play it. Um, you know, we have several people who go and play every summer at the Grand Teton Music Festival. And, you know, and they work with a lot, you know, they see a lot of different conductors that we haven't necessarily seen here. So they always bring back reports, you know. You know, the orchestra's a big family, and everybody has eyes and ears and opinions, so we try to hear everybody, you know. Do you take a formal survey of the musicians about how they felt about them, or is it kind of just a word of mouth, we liked this conductor and not this one? Um, well, no, the musicians have a process. Uh, 
Yeah, and it's one that I don't administer, and I'm not necessarily, uh, you know, I'm usually privy to the results, but I don't know the details. Yeah, so that you know, they, have, you know, it's like a, I mean, it's probably like a survey monkey type thing, you know. Okay. I mean, I think it really is just like a survey monkey. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> it's literally illustrated. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah, they, they poll themselves and the committee obviously talks. You know, we try to spend time at each of our artistic committee meetings and look back at what worked the last couple of weeks, what didn't work the last couple of weeks, what we thought was great, what we thought was not, all that, you know. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I do talk to my peers at other orchestras a good bit. So, you know, it's a small world at the end of the day, right? I mean, there's only, you know, how many orchestras are size? You know, there's, there, it's not a massive list of people to know, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, there's, so, you know, I talk to my peers in the artistic administration world a good bit, you know. Um, I usually go to New York once a year and have a bunch of meetings with artist managers and I tend to go when they have the big APAP conference and that's, you know, that's just a time when a lot of my peers from other American orchestras are there also at the same time. So we all meet and gossip, if you will, <laughs> but, you know, but we also talk about, Hey, what's been working pops wise, you know, what have people really, what's really resonated with your pops audience? Because you know, there's a million directions you can take pops programming, right? Um, and what works in this market is not necessarily going to be the same thing that works in Washington, D.C. And, you know, and the same thing that works here is not necessarily going to be what works in, um, you know, Dallas, Texas. And what works in New York City may not necessarily work anywhere else because, you know, there's, you know, that's a market that is 20 times the size of ours. You know, so they just have such a population to pull from, you know, um, so. It's, it's important to keep your eyes and ears open. You know, we always try to pay attention to what other orchestras are doing. Um, sometimes they probably pay attention to what we're doing, we hope, you know. I did have one question. It kind of goes back to the beginning of our conversation, just about um, – because you had mentioned that uh, Brett has 10 concerts, and I was just curious um, how much say does he have in programming those 10 concerts as far as like, you know – choice of repertoire that he that he conducts um you know brett is a meticulous planner and a thorough planner you know brett basically just brings me complete programs for us to discuss and you know so he you know and we do have to go through the whole committee process and we both have to agree that these are things you know we also work with the marketing department very closely to talk about what the revenue assumptions are going to be based on what we're programming because, you know, we have a sales history. Like, I can pull up a sales history for, you know, we're opening with Rachmaninoff Symphony Number no. 2. I can pull up the sales history for the last four times we played it. You know, it may not have happened at the same time of year. It may not have been paired with the same soloist. It may have been, you know, during ski season, so people think more people were in the mountains. I mean, there's all kinds of variables. It may have been on the Super Bowl Sunday, so it didn't sell well. You know, there's so many variables to knock around. But Brett has... You know, Brett can bring me anything. You know, Brett, and Brett, you know, Brett conducts way more than just those 10. Those are just the 10 classical masterworks. You know, Brett conducts, Brett's doing some of our films. Brett's doing the Leslie Odom Jr. show. You know, Brett conducts on basically every series at some point. 
So he does more than just the traditional masterworks. That's not the case with all music directors. You know, some music directors would never be seen on a pops podium, right? Um, but that's not really what Denver needs, I think, right? You know, we need a guy who's very accessible to everyone. Um, but, you know, Brett can bring me anything. You know, he, um, he has complete control over what he proposes. So I'm curious if that's a trend that you find with most conductors. Are they bringing full programs or, you know, kind of uh, raw ideas? Um, well, they're all different individuals, you know. Some guys are, some guys kind of take the lead from us, you know. It, it, it really varies from conductor to conductor. Some guys are willing to do anything we want. You know, if somebody's a young up-and-comer and they want to get on the podium, they'll do whatever whatever I tell them they have to do, right? You know, I mean... Sometimes we do look at the season and say, you know what, we haven't programmed um, Chike 5 in three years, and it's time because everybody loves it. So whoever's conducting this week is going to have to conduct Chike 5, and you tell them that, you know. Or you tell them, you know, and some people will come and they'll make a proposal to you, and you're like, dude, you're crazy. We're not, we're not going to program the Scriabin concert. I'm sorry. Won't sell any tickets. As much as I would love to, it would mean death at the box office for us. I mean, you know, and some of that comes back to our market. You know, what what have our what what have the patrons of the Colorado Symphony grown to love over the years? You know, Marin Alsop was a music director for a long time. She's had a lot of influence on what classical music is in this in this community. There's no question about it, right? So, you know, it, it varies from conductor to conductor. Some conductors are not proactive planners some are meticulous and thorough right you know and there's pluses and minuses to both honestly but i you know brett thinks about his programs way more than i have time to which is a great thing right you know um so you know we're lucky and brett is a guy who takes his responsibility as a music director so seriously you know, it's not always the case in places, you know. Yeah, and that really, that really comes across both the meticulous planning and um, and him him being an all-around uh, music director. Both of those come across in our two discussions with them. So our listeners can um, definitely should go listen to those if they if they have not, because um, a lot of what Tony's been talking about is is very clear in those in those discussions. You know, Brett represents in a you know, he's a, he's a new generation, right? You know, you know, I was, um, and I'm, I'm lucky to have gotten to work with a lot of conductors over the years and they're all different, right? You know, they're all individuals. That's for sure. Um, but it is kind of a blessing to me to have someone who's as active in the process as Brett is. You know, he's got more ideas. He's got more ideas than we can pursue, honestly. You know, I mean, that's the you'd rather have that than someone who doesn't contribute anything. Um, what are some of your your favorite concerts coming up? We're about to start the eighteen nineteen season. Are there any that um, that really jump out at you? Well, I mean, I love them all. You know, they're kind of they're all kind of my baby in a way, right? Um, I mean, I have certain favorite composers just like all the musicians do you know i told you earlier i'm a sibelius freak i mean i love jean sibelius and you just 
we don't get to program it that much. So I'm very ex- and I love Pink and Superman to death. So that program, Pink and Superman and Bailey's Five, is one of my faves. You know, I just I I just can't wait for it, right? You know, I love crazy projects also. Like I love this light and avoid thing we're doing with these celebrity scientists. I mean, it's it's something different. You know, it's something new. It's something unique, and it's something that we've kind of built and supported, right? Could you just describe Light in the Void briefly? Well, it's basically kind of an orchestrated TED Talk is the best way that I can kind of explain it. And we have these three, you know, three of the most prominent scientists in the world coming to kind of talk about their individual disciplines as the orchestra accompanies a very scripted presentation from each of them. And it's original music. It's written by Austin Winery, who's, you know, originally from Denver. He's an L.A.-based, primarily a, you know, film and video game score composer. But he, you know, he's, he's also a beautiful artist. You know, he's a great composer. Um, and he's created all this original music to accompany these talks by these scientists. And there, you know, it's Carolyn Porco, who's a planetary scientist, very famous, um, you know, um, planetary scientist you know she's the person who had her hands in the cassini satellite crashing into saturn um she worked for carl sagan back in the day you know another one is alice roberts who's a anthropologist from the uk who you know has a recurring show on the bbc um you know a very different discipline of science than you know planetary science right and then maria spirapulo is coming and she's um you know, she's a particle physicist. She's one of the people who has their hands in programming that giant particle collider in Switzerland. You know, it's uh, it's us kind of trying to bring in a new audience also. You know, all the science nerds, I hope, will come to the show because it is a unique chance to see these scientists in one place. You know, so hopefully we get a different audience and they experience what the orchestra does because Austin's an exciting composer. His stuff is powerful and diverse and exciting i mean he's a great composer um and it's all original music you know it's 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 definitely us taking some risk right you know we're trying to do something new austin you know austin has this vision where he's like it's kind of an oratorio actually but nobody sings i'm like okay austin's like it's a new form we've created a new form you know it's not a cantata it's not an opera it's not a symphony it's it's its own thing right and who knows what the future is if this goes really well maybe the next thing we do we really dive into the environment i don't know you know and have prominent um you know environmentalists come and talk i don't know there's all kinds of directions it could go if it goes really well right um and hopefully we're exposing these science nerds to the power of what symphonic music can be and i and i use the term nerd as a good thing i mean you know yeah, I would be going if I didn't have something that night, but I'll I'll be I'll try to make it to some of the rehearsals because I'm very interested in that. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I mean we're going to record it all. You know, it, it'll be recorded, so it'll be available for people to get their hands on. And we are, you know, the plan is to stream it live also. So, you know, people all over the world should be able to get their hands on it. Um, you know, I'm excited to see Leslie Odom Jr. You know, he's the original Aaron Burr and Hamilton. He's just got a amazing voice you know we open our traditional pop series with a um frank sinatra ella fitzgerald tribute show 
and I, you know, I love all that stuff. You know, the classic songbook I all, I love. You know, I, I get excited about Robert and Hammerstein sometimes. You know, um, and I'm always excited to see somebody like Perlman come to town. You know, he's a living legend for sure. There's no question about it. One of the most famous musicians in the 20th century. So, you know, that's always a treat. Um, I am very excited about this War Requiem. I um, actually got to play it while I was in college, and that's been a long time ago now. And I am excited to revisit it. Obviously, I won't be on stage, but I, you know, I get to hear it all week. So that's another thing that I'm blessed with is I get to hear it all, you know? Yeah. That's going to be a great concert. I'm actually going to, I'd like to, to post on our Facebook page the, the poster for that concert because I think it's really, um, it's a really powerful poster. It is. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's powerful music, right? I mean, it, I even had, well, somebody stole my CD in college also. <laughs> you know, it was like a two, you know, it takes two CDs to get it on and it walked off from my apartment one time in college somehow. So I look forward to, you know, that week is just going to be a, a special one, you know. Um, I'm excited about the Lettuce program. You know, I really do love the collaborations with non-symphonic artists. And, you know, because they're, you know, I just, I say non-symphonic. I mean, they're brilliant musicians. They're just not people who play in a symphony. So, you know, we create something new when we do that. It's a unique way for fans of Lettuce to come and see their funk fusion band, right? Is that one where you are, you're commissioning the charts for Lettuce? Yeah. Yeah. So it so it's actually the first time that they're they're working with a symphony. Yeah, yeah. it is. And it, you know, it's going to be crazy and it's going to be you know, who knows what's going to happen, right? I mean, it, it's going to be a beautiful thing no matter what. I mean, you know, that's the thing is I, you know, I trust them cuz I know how talented they are. I trust the guy who's working with them to create the charts cuz I have used him a bunch in the past and I understand his aesthetic and he kind of really understands their world. So I feel like it's, um, you know, it's going to be exciting to see what we build, right? You know, it's something. new. So I, I love it all. I mean, I love the holiday stuff. I mean, for me, you know, get, you know, even getting to hear the Messiah every year is kind of like a ritualistic kind of experience. You know, I mean, you realize why it's so celebrated every year. You're like, Oh yeah, that's why we do the Messiah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Podium Time Podcast. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or reach out on our website at podiumtimepod.wordpress.com. Mendelssohn's Italian Symphony was performed by the Czech National Symphony Orchestra, and Beethoven's Egmont Overture was performed by Stefano Legorati.